My name is Albert. I am the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. If you're a guest with us today, welcome. What you see here is just one small part of our church. We are a multi-site church. We have a campus here. We have one in Mon- uh, Roland Heights, six different congregations. About uh, 300 people show up to our various services on the weekends. And uh, on Easter, we had almost 500 people uh, gathering in our So this is just one little part of our family. We have two English congregations. We have two uh, Chinese we have a Spanish congregation, we got a Filipino congregation, and our Filipino pastor, Pastor June, is here with us today. So hello, Pastor June. And uh, we have a special guest here, right here. We have the uh, mayor of Rosemead with us, Polly is here. We got some guests here with Foster, uh, Foster All, you're going to hear from them in a little bit. Glad to have them here. Uh, and I see some new faces. Uh, I personally did not grow up in the church. Uh, I grew up in a uh, nominally Buddhist family and did not become a Christian until my late 20s when I was living all the way across on the other side of the world in Taiwan, and I was working and living there. And that is where I became a Christian. I left the music business out of promising uh, music career as a singer-songwriter, recording artist. I spent time in television and theater. I left all of that when I found Jesus. My whole life changed. So I know what it is like to come into a place where you don't know anybody, uh, where you don't know the songs, you don't know the Bible, you're not even really quite sure about uh, the story of Jesus and and what Christians believe. And if that is you, you are welcome here. Uh, I know what that's like. Many of us know what that's like. Uh, You don't need to be a Christian to come to church. Uh, Take your time and explore faith alongside us and uh, be part of our family. So we're glad to have you here. Uh, we always spend time in worship and in prayer, uh, and then, of course, we also read God's Word together. We need some help to understand a God who is infinite, right? Because we're very limited. So we always like to pray together to ask God to open our hearts and our minds. Let's read the words on the screen together. O Lord, our God, you have chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your Word, your Son, and your Spirit. Now reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us. Teach us today how to love as Jesus loves, to welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the poor, to bear good news, build bridges, and bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory May your perfect will prevail in us this day in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are in part seven of our series called We Are Family, and uh, this series is all about relationships. Now, if you missed any one of these uh, sermons, you can go onto our website, onetrinitychurch.org, and you can listen to them there. You can also download our app. Uh, Just look up Trinity Church LA on your uh, phone in the App Store, and you'll be able to download that. You can listen to the rest of the sermons that way. Um, But this series is all about relationships, and we believe that Christians ought to be amazing at relationships because we follow Jesus, right? We follow Jesus Christ, and according to the Apostle Paul, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We find this in Colossians, the image of the invisible God. In other words, Jesus is perfect theology, which is a fancy way of saying that if you want to know who God is, what God is like, look at Jesus. 
What do we know about God? Well, the apostle John, who was one of Jesus's closest disciples, tells us that God is love. God is love. And then we understand that Jesus has put his spirit, and Jesus is, is God, he has put his spirit in every believer. And so the apostle Peter tells us that through Christ, we've been given everything that we need to live a godly life. When Jesus, the son of God, God himself, the image of the invisible God, takes his spirit and puts it in you, you now have everything that you need to live a godly life. That is, and the, a godly life is a life that is marked by the love of God, right? By loving and life-giving relationships. That's how you know that you are in Christ. And so Christians ought to be amazing at relationships. I mean the best, the absolute best at relationships in the world because the Spirit of God is in us. So why is this not the case, right? Why is it not the case that Christians are like so much better at relationships than everybody else? Because although we know Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit in us, many of us are simply not putting in the work because we have to choose to live out our faith. We have to live into our identity. As the Apostle Paul says, we have to work out our salvation. In other words, express it in tangible ways that we are new creations, right? And so our last few messages have been about putting in that work into our relationships. We, they've been about what to do when our relationships go sour. Anybody had a relationship go sour? Right? And so we talked about how to overcome bitterness, how to fight well when we do fight, because we're all going to fight, right? Some of you might have fought on the way to church this morning. How do we confront people in a loving and a Christ-like way when that's necessary? Okay? But let's face it. It is really, really hard to undo Years and years and years of bad habits in our relationships, right? And the older we get, the harder it is to change our core personality. How many of you are married to somebody who is perhaps in their older years? And it seems like it's very hard for them to change. Or maybe that person is you, right? Now, it's not impossible, okay? But it gets harder. Yet, the Bible is full of stories of God completely transforming somebody's character even in their old age, okay? But it's true that it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, right? So what if, what if you could go back in time (laughs) and you could give your younger self, right, some advice from your older, wiser self and save yourself a few heartaches, right? What would you say? What would you say to your younger self? Well, too bad. You can't. That was a trick question, right? You can't. You cannot go back in time to your younger self and give your younger self some advice. There is no way to do that. No way to help your younger self benefit from your life experience. There's no way to teach your younger self how to build solid and healthy, lifelong relationships. But you know what? You can help someone else's younger self to do that. Because guess what? Every person you meet right now is their younger self. Right? 
because they're never going to be as young as they are right now. And tomorrow, they're going to be an older version of the person they are today, right? You can help someone else's younger self learn how to avoid uh, allowing your anger turn into bitterness. You can help a younger person, a person's younger self, learn how to control their anger, right? How to uh, help them learn how to treat their future spouse, right? How to resolve conflict, how to be a real friend. You can literally change the way that somebody else sees other people and relates to them. You could permanently change someone's life for the better. So today, we are going to talk about how to help our young people grow into mature followers of Jesus, who are, among other things, going to be amazing at relationships. And I I want to say at the outset that this responsibility, okay, belongs to all of us. So don't tune out because you don't have kids, okay? This responsibility belongs to all of us. Whether you are a parent or not, whether you are single or you are recently married, or whether your kids have already grown up and moved out of the house, don't think, oh, I'm done. I did my job with my kids. We got a whole church full of kids. We got a whole community full of kids. And we need everybody, okay? We are the family of God. Everybody say that. We are the family of God. And family takes care of each other. Yes? Especially our kids. So I'm going to share some insights from Scripture. Uh, Then we're going to hear from a couple of people who work with kids. Uh, And then I'm going to share a few things that we can practically do to invest in young people. It's really important. Now, most Christians are familiar with 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, All Scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired, and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? Many of us are familiar with that. And and that verse is meant to affirm the centrality of the word of God in our lives. Faith comes from hearing the word. There's a story of a pastor who was invited to a Thanksgiving dinner um, beautiful dinner. The, uh, the, the family decided they wanted to bring out all their best china, all their best silverware, really expensive stuff. And after the meal, when they were cleaning up, uh, the wife noticed that one of the spoons was missing. She thought, she said to her husband, I think the pastor stole our spoon. And, but she couldn't go up and accuse him, you know, because she wasn't sure. But the more she thought about it, as the year went, she looked all over the house. She could not find that spoon. And so she said, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to invite him for Thanksgiving dinner again next year. And I'm going to confront him. I'm going to ask him. So uh, Thanksgiving comes around again. Pastor comes to their home. Beautiful dinner. Same kind of thing. And as they're, they're having dinner, uh, they, she, there's one spoon missing. And... And the uh, pastor says, where's the spoon? And she says, you took it. <laughs> Last year, the same time, you took that spoon. He said, yes, I did. She said, well, where is it? And he said, I put it in your Bible. <laughs> Faith comes from hearing the word. But you got to open it. Right? 
open it. So, uh, Paul, uh, in, in 2 Timothy, here's the thing. Okay, we all, we, many of us are familiar with that verse. But there's a context to that verse. Okay, so 2 Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul who uh, wrote like half the New Testament, planted all these different churches, very influ- perhaps the most influential person other than Jesus in the Christian faith. And Paul is writing to Timothy. And Timothy is his protege. He's a young pastor. And Paul and Timothy are very, very close. Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. Not biological son, but his spiritual son, his son in the faith. And Paul at this point is in prison. And he doesn't know if he's ever going to see Timothy again. But he loves Timothy like a son. And so he says, and if you want to follow along, you can turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy and there's Bibles in front of you in the pews. If you didn't bring one, you can look it up on your phone. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. And Paul writes this, Timothy, you know all about my teaching and my way of life. You know my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. You know my persecution. You know all about my sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet, the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He says, but Timothy... As for you, I want you to continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says, all Scripture All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, that little piece there about the Bible is in the context of discipleship. It's about how a young person becomes mature in the faith. It's all about how someone becomes a genuine follower of Jesus. Now listen to what the, the things that we glean from this little passage about how to invest in somebody. Paul says, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures from infancy. I don't want you to miss that. From infancy. Not math. Okay, not, you haven't known math since infancy. You haven't known science from infancy. You haven't known music from infancy. But you have known the Holy Scriptures from infancy. In other words, this was the most important thing that he was taught, so important that his family started teaching him the Word of God from the moment that he was born. And this was what they prioritized above all else, above sports, above academics, the Word of God. And this is how he became wise. This is how he came to know God. This is how he got saved. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is useful and must be taught so we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's how it started 
from infancy that began to teach him the scriptures. And then we learn, Paul says this, he says, I want you to continue, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of it. At some point, you have to become convinced. This can't just be head knowledge. It's got to make that journey from right here, right down to here, this little 18-inch journey down to your heart. The penny's got to drop. The light bulb has to go on. You must become convinced. Are you convinced that Jesus is who he says he is? Are you convinced that following him is worth leaving everything else in your life? Are you convinced that you were made to know God? Are you convinced that he loves you? Are you convinced that in Christ your sins have been paid for and forgiven? Are you convinced that his spirit is in you and you are a new creation? Are you convinced of these things? Continue in what you have learned, become convinced of, convinced of. Why? Because you know those from whom you've learned it. Because you didn't just get it from here. Because you know the people who taught it to you and their lives confirm what this word says. Timothy, don't just look at the word. Look at the people who taught it to you. Look at their lives. And that is the evidence. In other words, there was an entire community of people who taught and mentored and loved Timothy. And we know those people included the women, right? Included the women in his family because Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois. And in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. His faith came through the women in his family. How many of you know a grandma who is one of the godliest people that you know? Right? Nay Fong, you are grandma to like this entire church. And your faith has become our faith. How many of you have a godly mom? Right? Cindy. You came to know Jesus later in life, right? But Leslie and Matthew, they see Christ in you. We all do. And so the women in our church, thank God for you, right? The godly women in our church, we sure need you. Because through uh, Eunice, uh, Lois and Eunice, we got Timothy. And he says, for this reason, I remind you, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you now through the laying on of my hands. Whatever gift God has given you, fan it into flame. Don't let it go to waste. How many people go through their whole lives wasting their gifts or worse, spending their gifts on things that are irrelevant or inconsequential, just chasing after their own little kingdom on earth? Francis Chan, we've quoted this before. He says... uh, Failure, we should not fear failure. That should not be our biggest fear. Our biggest fear should be succeeding at things that don't really matter. Let's not waste the gifts that God has given us, but fan them into flame and use them in the right way. In other words, Paul recognized that Timothy was a very special young man, and he took him under his wing and he trained him further, and it's evident just how much Paul invested in Timothy. Listen, he says to Timothy, Timothy, you know all about my teaching. How do you think that happened? You know all about my teaching. I've taught you everything that I know. Is there anyone on this earth that knows everything that you know 
about God? kind of investment must Paul have had in Timothy to say that? Timothy, you know all about my teaching. I have nothing left to teach you. I've given you everything that I know. Timothy, you know my way of life. You know how I live. Now, how could that have happened unless Timothy was, was close to Paul all the time and traveled with him and watched him, was, had access into his life? He says, Timothy, you know my purpose. You know why I'm here. You know what my life is about. What's your purpose? Do you know what your purpose is? Does anybody else know? Have you translated that purpose to somebody else? He says, Timothy, you know my faith. You know my faith. What is faith? Faith is following when you don't know, following God when you don't quite know what the future holds, but you're sure that it's something good. You're sure that that God is leading you into a preferred future that is God's preferred future for you. You know my patience. You know my love. You know my endurance. In other words, you know my character. You know what kind of man I am. It says, you know my persecutions. You know my sufferings. In other words, Timothy, you know my story. You know the good, you know the bad, you know the ugly. I haven't hidden anything from you. You know my persecutions, you know my sufferings. I've told you how much sometimes this weighs on me. My burden for people who don't know God, who don't know Jesus. You know what I've suffered. So he's... So, can you see? Can you see how much Paul poured into Timothy? He was, and, and Paul was a busy guy. Okay, how many of you are busy people? Lately, many of you know I'm also serving as a district superintendent for the Northern California District Church of the Nazarene. So I'm now overseeing 75 churches in the Bay Area and beyond. In addition to pastoring this church, I've been working 70 hour weeks for the past like two months now. That's going to change because I need to cut back. I realize everyone say, Albert, you know, you need to. Like, relax. I, I get it. I know. Okay. But I'm a busy guy too. We're all busy, right? But, and Paul was so busy, right? He planted church after church and he traveled all over Palestine, all over Greece, his, and all over Rome. His travel schedule was insane. Okay. And he wrote half the New Testament. But Paul made time for Timothy. He took him under his wing, taught him everything he knew. Now, obviously, Paul could not do this, did not do this for everyone. Andy Stanley is a well-known pastor, pastors a church of 30,000 people. We've learned a lot of things from his ministry. Um, and people ask, how do you, how do you still um, manage to pastor your people? You can't, you can't have a personal relationship with 30,000 people. And he says, the guiding principle for me has always been, do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do all. And that is what Paul did. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. There are some people in this church that I've poured into and other people that unfortunately have not been able to do that, but I've done for one or a few what I wish I could do for everyone. And, I, and I'm sure that when Bob and Catherine share about uh, foster all, that's kind of your philosophy too, right? Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Second Timothy Four one two. We're continuing on. Paul says this. Therefore, Timothy, in the presence, because of all that has been invested in you, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom. So he calls upon the witness of God himself. I give you this charge. These are heavy words. And you can, you can almost feel like the mantle of leadership falling on Timothy's shoulders. I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word. 
Be prepared in season and out of season, no matter what. Always be ready. They've always, they say to missionaries and missionary kids sometimes that you always have to be ready to do three things, right? Right? Preach. Right? Uh, what was the other one? There's another one. Can't remember the second one. Preach, uh, teach, or something like that, or die. You always have to be ready, right? One of those things. Preach the word, be prepared in season, in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, did you know that these are the same words? And we just had the, one, uh, our district assembly last week for the Los Angeles district. All our churches got together. But at the district assembly, every year we have an ordination ceremony. These are the people that have prepared for years to become pastors, and we ordain them. Our general, One of our general superintendents comes and he does that. And these are the same words. These are the words that are spoken at our annual ordination ceremony to ministers who are about to make a lifelong commitment to serving Christ and his mission. It is a profoundly sacred, I get chills every time, a sacred and inspiring moment. And every time I think about all, when I see those candidates up there getting ordained, I think, my goodness, how many men and women, how many pastors and Sunday school teachers and kids, uh, uh, kids leaders, youth leaders, parents, family members, how many mentors and peers and professors poured into these young men and women year after year after year to encourage them and equip them for their call. And wouldn't it be amazing if one of our own young people was standing on that platform being ordained? Wouldn't that be amazing? <coughs> and they're choosing to dedicate their lives to preaching the gospel, making disciples of Jesus Christ. Why was Paul able to say these words and to Timothy and give him such a high charge at a young age? Because Timothy was not just called, he had been prepared. He wasn't just called, he had been prepared. He had been equipped. He had been invested in his whole life since the moment he was born. So before I go on and talk about some implications for us and what that looks like, I want to invite a couple of our leaders, some people who have invested significantly in young people. First, I want to ask John Cabrera. John, come on up. John is, uh, yeah. Now, John is uh, Johnny, Johnny's dad, right? Uh, our, our campus pastor here. Um, he's one of our children's team volunteers. Uh, he's a former teacher, and he uh, helps head up the Royal Family Kids Camp as well. And so I, I asked John to come and speak to us about his perspective on, on why he serves uh, in our kids' ministry, why he's invested so much of his life in children and youth um, as one of our own people, one of our own church members. Thank you. technical issues. I was just with the kids a few minutes ago, and my iPad experience is not that great. Um, why do I do what I do? I'll tell you a quick story. Um, because I had invested a lot of time in ministry from the time I was about 18 or 19, um, working with uh, high school kids, Youth for Christ, 
and um, gave my life to teaching kids. I uh, taught for 19 years, five in a public uh, school, two in a private school, and then 12 years in a, in a Christian school. And those things did not pan out for me for different reasons. So about six years ago, I was riding my bike to work. I, I did it because I loved it before it became popular. I was one of those guys that were annoying drivers on the streets. And um, it's like, you know, God, you know, what's, what's going on here? What, 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 what's happening in my life? And he says, well, what do you want? I said, wow. Said, yeah, what do you want? Like a blank check, right? What do you want? So it's like, man, that's a big, that's a big offer. So after thinking about it, you know, thinking, wow, you know, can I have a lot of money or can I be famous or what? I said, you know what? What I really, really want is to do something significant in your kingdom. I want to be significant in your kingdom. That afternoon, I got together with some friends. And they said, hey, you want to go to India? We're having, we have this uh, uh, ministry down there at the school with 600 kids. And it's, uh, wow, God, you answered that prayer. It's like that. So I got a free trip to India. It was great. It was amazing. Anybody here ever been to India? Oh man, it's, it's like a, it's going to another planet. It really is. It's just different. So I'm thinking, okay, well, that was wonderful. And I went again a few years ago and it, you know, like, okay, my, my job here is done. I'm not doing that anymore. Well, what, what's next? You know, uh, I was part of a church with, you know, 3,500 people, you know, it was, it was a big, big church and I was involved with that. And, and I'm here. Well, I, I really believe in this, this simple philosophy of up, in and out. That, that up is our, our relationship with God in worship and prayer. In is, is taking care of our families and our, our church family and out is reaching out. Well, I think this church does an excellent job of, of all three of those things. Um, but I really have a sense of doing this, um, working on the inn with these kids, with these little kids. Now, uh, I know John Fong and his predecessors have done a great job with, with the youth group. I mean, going to Mexico in, in a few, uh, in about a week, right? And I mean, just the stuff that they've been doing, I think that's amazing. Well, we have another crop of kids coming up. Uh, behind them, and how are we going to get those kids from there to be here? And not just to kind of go through the motions, but to actually have this real sense of doing that for the Lord. Well, um, I have this real heart for for kids, and it's that guy's fault right there, my son. I mean, kids, you know, are either you kind of you know are annoyed with them, or you know, kind of ignore them. They're just kids, or we kind of over sentimentalize them. You know, oh, they're so cute and they're so innocent and precious. Until they turn on you, and then, you know, it's, it's scary, right? Or we have this vision of who they really are. They're created, they're, they're, they're cre- creations that, have, that, that, that God has uh, sent his son to die for. They're, they're little sinners, right? I mean, that's, that's the truth. They are. I mean, they, they're cute, but they're, they're sinners. They, so so how, do we, how do we, you know, deal with them? Well... I have this real sense when, when my son was born, that was the second most important thing that ever happened in my life besides meeting Christ. And, and lest you think, well, poor Sonia, you know, that wasn't it, but that was something we did together. Wow. You know, here, here's this little person that God has given us to take care of. I mean, he can't do anything by himself. You know, we have to take care of him. So on the way home from, from uh, the hospital, uh, 
we were still practicing Catholics at that time. I stopped at the church and I literally went up to the altar and I knelt down and I held up my son. People say like Lion King. It's really like if you're old enough to remember Kunta Kinte in Roots, you know, held up, held up. I said, Lord, this baby, he's yours. He's yours. And here he is now, you know, a pastor here, which is amazing. Well, as, as the years have gone on, I come to appreciate that kids need a lot of work. I mean, they're, they're, they're fun and all that, but they're, um, they need, they need someone to come alongside them and not just, you know, pat them on the head, give them a cookie and send them off. We need to actually, uh, actively and, and collectively work together to teach them not just about God, because a lot of these kids, they know a lot of things. I mean, we're teaching Bible stories. And then they finished the Bible story. Yeah, yeah, we know. And then David, you know, threw the rock and hit the giant. He fell. And that's, you know, they can finish the stories for us. They, they know the stories. But what we really want is for them to actually meet the living God in Christ Jesus, to actually not just know about God, but to know God. And I um, am a firm believer that the local church is the hope of the world, that that this this body right here is is what's holding society together. I mean, really, and that local church, uh, we're only one generation away from extinction, right? If if the kids don't you know pick up where we left off, it's over, right? So for two thousand years, you know, we've been passing the baton, just like Albert was talking about, where you know the the parents, grandparents are handing that faith off to their kids. Those kids are taking that faith, owning it for themselves and actually making a difference in this world. So why I do what I do here is I believe that those kids really need to know Christ in, in a real way. And I try all kinds of crazy things. You know, I just came from um, doing a lesson about Philip meeting the, the Ethiopian eunuch on the Damascus Road. I didn't explain what a eunuch was, by the way, but that was not important. So, you know, just, just, just you know, doing these things, try to get their attention so they can understand, wow, God is calling them. They are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared for them to do. That's our, our verse for the month, Ephesians 2.10. So when they actually get that, that real sense that God is calling them, something's going to happen. And what I am um, uh, in, inviting all of you to do is to double down in your efforts, number one, to pray for these kids because they've got challenges that we've never, that us older people have never had. A lot of distractions, a lot of things that are calling them. And, and, and some of those things are pretty fun, right? And pretty good. But not all of them are very healthy. So what can we do to have these kids actually know God in a real way? And I'm also inviting some of you to actually come and help us out. You know, once a month, come and, come and help out uh, as a teacher. I, I learned that the, the students that were most successful in their education were the ones whose parents were involved in their lives. And no less is true here. That, that if you, you know, can spend some time, uh, helping out, cause, you know, we need some help. I mean, we're pretty thin. And, and it would be great to have, you know, a, a parent come in at least once a month and, and, and help to shepherd these kids, you know, and help us to kind of guide them from one place to the other and, and, and to do those kinds of things. Um, then I think we as, as a church body can work together to help these kids know that, hey, we're all in this together. It's not just for us, you know, select few with the T-shirts, you know. It, it's for all of us. So um, I was 
blessed to, to be involved with Royal Family Kids Camp. And so many of you prayed for us. You donated money. Uh, we had uh, David and Janine go up. Janine took some uh, Disney print, or can't say Disney, uh, fairy princesses. Uh, it's a copyright thing. They, it, it, it was great. And, and there are 36 kids in the foster care system who now know more about, about Jesus Christ than they did before. And they know that there's a group of people who really care for them. And Lord willing, next year, they'll come back and then we'll have a, a mentoring program and we'll have a, a, a month a month club for them. And we can actually start to, to build these ongoing relationships with them. And that is wonderful. That's the out part. So the in part is so that we will know that our kids here have, have been, will receive the, the, the love and the care of, of we adults so that, that they can know the love of Christ. So, um, why I do what I do? Uh, cause God told me to do this and, and I need to be obedient to Him and I, and I appreciate, uh, all of you, um, this is such a generous and caring and loving and, and giving church. Um, so I, I wanted to do something significant with my life. Uh, this is it. I'm spending my life here. So I appreciate and thank you so much for, for letting me be here. Um, I specifically asked John to come because um, he's a dad. He's a grandfather. And men, we need you. We need men discipling, pouring into our young people. Uh, we've got a lot of women. Guys, we've got to step up. We need you. Okay. All right. So I'm going to invite uh, Bob Levy and Catherine Hernandez from Foster All to come, and they're going to share uh, about what they do. I've asked them to speak for a few minutes on that. Uh, Bob, take it away. Thank you, Pastor Albert. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting. And I don't think it could be a better day. This is perfect. And what, John, what you do... It's the perfect segue for me. It's awesome. Um, my name is Bob Levy. I'm with an organization called Foster All. And really, we came out today to kind of bring awareness about foster care because no, really, no one really knows. I don't know. How many people know that there's 20,000 kids in the foster care system in Los Angeles County alone? Anyone? Oh, John. Good job. Um, we are number one in the nation, foster care, and uh, largest... Uh, population of kids in foster care uh, in the nation, and not too many people know that. Um, so I wanted to bring awareness. Um, how many people knew that there are 14,000 calls that come into the Department of Children and Family Services each month? Right? No. All allegations of abuse, neglect, abandonment, that's what's going on. 14,000 a month. Out of those 14,000, 800 are founded. And that means that 800 kids are being pulled from their homes and placed into foster care every single month in L.A. County. 9,600 kids a year coming into foster care. When I was a little boy, I was in foster care. It could happen for various reasons. It doesn't have to be because your, your mom and dad are drug abusers or, or domestic violence or anything like that. My dad was a gambler, and he lived his whole life always going for the dream of making his fortune well, after 11 years of being married to my mom, he left with the secretary and divorced my mom. My mom wasn't able to care for me, so I went to live with my, my dad and his new uh, wife, and she didn't really want a husband and a 10-year-old son, so I 
got placed into foster care. That was my story. And although I really didn't understand why I couldn't live with my parents, foster care, looking back, was okay. And it was actually good. Because I got to be with families. The first one was my fifth grade teacher who took me in. Hearing my story, she took me in. And I got to live with my fifth grade teacher. Cause she, and that happens a lot more often than you think. Because teachers see these kids in their classes. So I got, I, I'm, I'm a little more studious than I would have been otherwise. <laughs> um, another family, they taught me how to fish, taught me how to camp. I became a Boy Scout. I got to compete in sports because of this family, which I never would have done, having lived with my dad. So, you know, foster care has got a really bad rap because of the people that abuse it. But the word foster is a great word. It means to encourage, to guide, to nurture, to support, to love. That's the word foster. So, <laughs> so a lot of my experience was very positive and can be. Now, there are kids out there all around this area, probably somewhere about 70 or 80 kids in a five-mile radius of where we stand right now that are looking for homes, just like me, who are scared, who don't know why they are in the place they're at, but they need... They don't need someone to save them. We know who does the saving. They don't need a rescuer. They need someone who will walk it out with them. Just walk along this journey with them. It could be for a short period of time, the hopes that they would get back to their healed family, or it may be a lifetime. You may adopt the child that you foster. I don't know. I'm a foster adopt parent myself. I've fostered in the last 18 years, and we adopted our little girl. And that was, that's what our story was. That might be your story, but there's something for everyone to do in foster care. Because again, it's about meeting someone where they're at, just like Jesus did for us, and walk it out with them. That's all. Love them, nurture them, do all these things, pour into them, just as John had said. These little, these little people, these little sinners, you know, they're confused, they're scared, they didn't do anything to deserve being in the place they're at. But you can make a huge difference, just like the people in my Life made a huge difference in the trajectory of my life. I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for those people. But I'm here now, and again, just like Johnny, things happen for a reason. And I'm so glad to, to share this with you. Now, so, so what does this look like? Well, it can look like you being a, if you feel like, you know what? We've always, maybe you're a couple who can't have kids. Maybe this is God's door opening that opportunity for you to have a child. Or maybe you have kids, you want more kids, you know, like me. It's like fun, um, you know, it, and it could be for a short period of time to be a mentor to a child, to just help them on their journey in the road, or again, for a lifetime. You could be single, you could be retired. It doesn't really matter. If you've got love in your heart and space in your home and everything like that, then you could be a foster parent. Um, now, there might be some of you in this room that say, you know what, I've, I've got the love in my heart for a child, but I don't. I just can't take a child into my home or into my life. Well, there's so many great opportunities. Kathy Hernandez is our director of foster care programs. And what she does is she coordinates with churches to build a, a community that's going to support foster parents in, in their journey. Because let me tell you, as a foster parent, one of the most wonderful things that we need and that we want is support. Just like as if uh, Pastor Albert had a baby. I don't know, you haven't planned to have any babies anytime soon? Okay, let's say he did. I know for a fact that there would be 
all kinds of wonderful meals delivered to his house, clothes, diapers, all those things. That's what our foster care program is like. When somebody receives a child, we want to bless them, let them know, hey, we're here to support you. We're behind you. Many times these kids come with just the clothes on their back. And for me as a little kid, to know that there's someone else out there that knows I'm here means a whole lot. And for them to give me something that says, you know what, you're special, you're precious, you're valuable, this is for you, makes a whole lot of difference. So you may, you may love shopping. We could use that. You may love cooking, baking. You may love talking. One foster mom said to me, you know what, my dad, uh, my dad, my husband works late a lot of nights. And I would just love someone to come over and talk to me while I'm giving baths and, and making meals. Just an adult to talk to. I'm with the kids all day. So maybe you're a talker. Maybe you love talking. Maybe you love listening. You can all be used to support foster families here, starting at this church, as John said, in. We want to take care of those first, and then we want to go out and bless them with the love of God in a tangible way. So if that's you, if you're interested, ever thought about fostering, uh, or, or anything, want to get, get your feet in the water, come and see Kathy and myself. We'd love to talk to you. Get your feet in the water. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful blessing. You will be blessed more than the kids that you're blessing, quite honestly, and you won't be able to believe it. But anyway, it's so wonderful to be here on such a wonderful Sunday. Thank you so much, Pastor Albert. Awesome. So, how do we produce godly, mature, gifted servants of God in the next generation? Well, it's not enough to invest in young adults. We got to go back earlier, right? We got to invest in, uh, in, in, in teens. That's not enough. We got to go back further to middle schoolers. Even that's not enough. We got to go back further to elementary students. That's not enough. We got to go all the way back to infancy. That's where our commitment begins. Yes? Right? So why haven't we done this? Well, I mean, we have at Trinity, but to be honest, um, the workers are few, too few. And the harvest is plentiful. There's lots and lots of kids to invest in. We do not have enough workers. Uh, part of that is a systems problem. Maybe we're not communicating the need enough. Maybe we're not recruiting well or training or retaining. Some people uh, are feeling a bit burnt out. Maybe it's a systems issue. But I think more than that, it's a vision problem. It's a vision problem. We are simply not communicating the urgency of discipling our children and our young people. And let me just say, that's not just the responsibility of the lead pastor. It's also the responsibility of our board members, of our staff, our children's director, our volunteers, our parents, grandparents, uncles, aunties. We all need to be convinced that this is what we're made for. We must disciple People. This is a call of every Christian. We must invest in young people. We make that a personal priority. We all have to be convinced of that. Okay? Did you know that 85%, 85% of people who accept Christ do it before the age of 18? Now, that doesn't mean that 85% of our kids will become believers. Don't misunderstand that statistic. But it means that if they haven't made that decision by the time they're 18, the likelihood that they ever will drops dramatically. Not completely, but dramatically. But here's what a lot of people don't know. That statistic, 85% of people accept Christ before the age of 18, only holds true if 
those young people were raised in a home where both parents were Christians and both parents had a high or moderate level of spiritual activity. In other words, if they were raised um, without that benefit, if only one parent was a Christian, or if neither was a Christian, or if both parents were Christian, but they're, they're not very active in their church, then the chances of a young person accepting Christ drops by two-thirds. Not only that, ministry to elementary age kids is profoundly important. 85% of people accept Christ before the age of 18, but 63% accept Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. It's what we call the 4-14 window. You see how important ministry to elementary age kids is? Did you know that in our churches, one quarter of our churches... One quarter of the churches in North America have no people between the ages of 12 to 29. Zero. That's a whole generation that is missing from the church. Guys, that is a code red emergency. That is not a, oh, that's really too. This is a code red emergency, and we all must respond. Yes? Now, people ask me, Albert, how do you raise four kids? Well, I don't. Christine and I do it together. We do it with all of you. I tell them that in our family, everybody helps out. I have not changed a diaper in like three months. Not because Nathaniel is, not, is potty trained, because he, he's not fully. Please pray for that, right? Okay. But it's because Eli's 13, because Mika's 11, because Jenna is eight, and they all help, Right? If we all work together, we can take care of everybody. And in our family, we have taught our kids that the older ones have to take care of the younger ones, right? Eli, you're responsible for Mika. Mika, you're responsible for Jenna. Jenna, you're responsible for Nate. Nate, you're responsible for the cockroaches. I don't know, right? Listen, the, as we grow older, we take on more responsibilities, right? And eventually, we... we become adults, and we join in the work of being productive. We're not just helping out anymore. No, it's our responsibility. And when mom, We're not just helping out when mom and dad ask. No, we are now part, fully capable of taking care of ourselves and other people, starting families of our own. We have dreams. We've got visions. This has got to be true in the church. The older ones must take care of the younger ones. Do you know what I'm saying? The older, more mature believers must take care of the younger believers. Not just age-wise, but, but in terms of spiritual maturity. Because there are simply too many. There are too many people for our pastors to take care of. So Christians, are you taking care of somebody who is younger in the faith? Are you taking care of your younger siblings? Because there's a huge difference. We have discovered there's a huge difference between having one kid and four kids. My friends with one kid, they say, oh yeah, we know what it's like. Oh, parenting is hard. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Four is way different than one, right? And there's a huge difference between being a church of 30 and being a church of 300, like we are. The larger the family, the more everyone's got to pitch in, and I do mean everyone. This is how we become mature, yes? So here's a a few things that we can do. First of all, you can serve in our children's and youth ministries. Commit time, money, manpower to kids and youth ministries. Volunteer on the kids' team. Parents, I urge you, if you're a parent, 
to give one quarter or one quarter of your Sundays to helping with our kids' ministry. That could mean once a month, or it could mean that every three months you give a whole month to the ministry, okay? Uh, Empty nesters, retirees, the kids are out of the house now. I urge you to help with ours. We need you. Someone helped you with your kids when your kids were young. Now it's time to invest in the next generation, right? Youth, um, you're going to have families one day, right? This is a good time to practice. <laughs> so we need you. Um, when I was 15, I was the shyest kid, okay? I was an introvert. I'm still an introvert, but I was the shyest kid. You know what changed my life? One summer when I was 15, I went and worked at a summer camp, and I took care of eight little kids for, the, for two weeks at a time. It changed my life. That is when I finally learned how much I love people, how much I cared about kids. Changed my life. So you want to grow up, you want to become amazing leaders, work with children. We have to invest in and we have to support parents with young kids. It's exhausting being a new parent, right? It's exhausting. And in this day and age, both parents often have to work because of the extremely high cost of living where we are. Did you know that a family of four living on an income, family income of $72,000 a year in LA is considered low income, right? In San Francisco County, where I'm going to be moving to eventually, when I fully transition to being district superintendent, it's $105,000. $105,000 for a family of four is considered low income. We need volunteers, guys. We need volunteers in our nursery, in our kids' ministry, in our youth ministry. I urge you, please, we need your help. Everybody, okay? Secondly, support at-risk kids in our community. It's not just about in, it's also about out. We need to care for the kids in our community, not just our congregation. Pray about supporting our foster families, okay? Or becoming a foster parent. We also, you're going to support our Family Promise Ministry, which, where we house homeless families on our campus for a week at a time. You can get involved in Angel Tree, where during Christmas time, we support kids whose parents are in prison. You can get involved in our Royal Kids Family Camp, partnership, all kinds of things that you can do, okay? And then lastly, give financially. Give uh, generously to all of our efforts to reach in the next generation. Sponsor kids and youth who are going on a missions trip or a retreat. When they do their fundraisers and they're selling, what are you selling? Anything? What were you selling? Spam masubi, okay? Don't just buy one. Buy ten. Give them to all your friends, right? You'll be the most popular person on the block. Right? So sponsor them. Help purchase toys and equipment for the church or for the kids in our community. Sponsor, here's one. Sponsor a staff position at the church. A lot of you know that John's salary is 100% sponsored by donors in the church. It doesn't come through our... Some people just came and said, we believe we need a youth pastor. We'll fund the position. For as long as he's here. What an incredible gift. We wouldn't have John here and the amazing work that he's doing without somebody stepping up and sponsoring us. One time, uh, we needed a children's director. Somebody gave us a $10,000 donation and said, see how far this takes you. What an amazing thing. Right? So sponsor a position, perhaps. Maybe you can't do the whole thing. You do a part thing. Say, you know what? Above, above and beyond what I normally give, I'm going to give an extra $200 a month to help pay, cover uh, a staff position for, so we can invest more in kids and youth. 
And then lastly, and this, I'll end here, um, I want to announce something very special to you. And that is that recently, um, one of our church members uh, donated some stock to the church. And we've never received a stock donation before. Okay? Um, and uh, there are lots of non-cash assets, stocks, real estate uh, that, that can be processed by the church. And we work with the Nazarene Foundation, and they have helped us set up an endowment. And this endowment is a place where we can receive funds that, that will go into a protected, restricted um, fund that will allow us to do um, things that we wouldn't normally be able to do. It's a dream fund. And we don't know quite how we're going to use it yet. But perhaps if, if you, uh, you can... You can right into your estate, or if, if you happen to get a, a bonus, Christmas bonus, you're like, I don't really need this Christmas bonus. You can, you can say, I want to give this to the church, but I want to put it in the legacy fund. I want to put it in the endowment, because that'll grow over time, right? And imagine, what if we had a fund that was worth several hundred thousand dollars, or even a few million dollars, and we build out over time, and then now this is funding all of these incredible projects that we wouldn't normally be able to do. And before, uh, you know, Christine and I have discussed that we want to make a significant contribution to, to this new, newly established fund. So if you would like to donate to our endowment, you will hear um, about how you can do that in the weeks to come. You can do it anytime if you want to just say, you know, I would like to do that. You can, anytime in the offering plate, um, just, you can just mark your check for endowment and we'll make sure that we put it in there. But you're going to hear more about that. But I do want you to know that we plan to invest significant resources, manpower, prayer into our ministry to young people. And we need all of you to do that. And it's going to benefit you. Now, if you're a guest with us today, you might have picked up that we value young people, right? If that sounds like the kind of church that you want to be a part of, join us. If you want to be part of a church that takes our faith seriously, our call to follow Jesus and honor Jesus seriously, come join us. We're, we're not, this is not a social club. We are here to make a difference. We are here because we love Jesus and because God loves us. And we want to live in it. If you, if you want to be a part, a part of a church that's all about rules, there's lots of churches out there like that. We are about relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with people, our relationship with our community. We love God. We love people. That is how we believe the world has changed. So thank you for being part of that. And if you'd like to be a part of that, we welcome you to join us. Let's pray. Lord, you are a loving God and you created us for this, for love. There's a whole generation of people that don't, aren't growing up with this knowledge of the love of God. We want them to. We want them to know God. And uh, Lord, our society is broken in so many ways. But you, Jesus, are restoring all things. And so we want to partner with you in that. Because there's so much that we've already been given ourselves. We live to love you and to serve you. I pray these things in Jesus' name.